0: Welcome back to the My Latin Life Podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. My guest today is Luke Mikic. He bills himself on Twitter as a 9-to-5 escape artist and on YouTube as Fix the Money, Fix the World, where he talks all about Bitcoin and, and spending Bitcoin around the world. He's originally from australia and he's been recently spending time between argentina and el salvador so luke welcome to the podcast
1: vance thank you so much for having me brother i'm a long time listener i think i've put away more than 50 to 60 of your episodes and i'm working (laughs) my way through them so it's an honor to finally appear on the podcast thank you so much
0: yeah well to get your own uh what's it called solo episode uh, having already appeared on the Argentina Roundtable episode, which is live by the way at the time of this recording, so you've already made an appearance and now you've uh, you've earned a spot and uh, get get your own solo episode.
1: I'm pumped to be here, brother. I I hope I don't uh, bore the listeners too much with uh, my really dodgy Australian accent and some uh, dodgy <laughs> stories from Latin America.
0: <laughs> you you were born in Australia, right? Yep. Okay. Bring me through a little bit of the story because I really don't know it. Uh, kind of like the 60-second version of mm. how you maybe escaped Australia and, and got into Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, so always wanted to travel overseas. Uh, found myself being a 23-year-old Australian having never left the country when 2020 happened. Uh, 2020 Mm. happened, most people be familiar that Australia was pretty authoritarian and tyrannical with many of the lockdown measures that they implemented. Mm. And um, me, with my medical status, I was not allowed to leave the country until 2022 when the international borders were opened up. So those who, uh, let's say, took the poison, they were able to leave and go on a holiday, but I couldn't unless I had an online job or an employer that wrote me a letter saying that they required me outside of the border. So I finally escaped in 2022 when my, uh, good friend, Mark Moss wrote me a letter to say that I was required in Mexico for work. And since leaving Australia in 2022, I've been just stacking as many online revenue streams as possible, because I really do think that, uh, you know, the future of work is going to be online and the more revenue streams you got online. better so that's my short and sweet little 60 second story Hmm. and remind me who's mark moss so he's a big youtuber he's nearly got half a million subscribers over on youtube and uh, he's very big in kind of the macroeconomic and uh, bitcoin space
0: yeah the name uh, rings a bell i think you you mentioned him to me recently but i'm not a mark moss expert (laughs) what's his kind of background like He must've been like running with some of the earlier like guys. I don't know. Like who, who, what's his background?
1: Yeah. So, uh, so he's got property in, uh, Mexico. Um, uh, but essentially he is a, I I think in 2019, he started a YouTube channel. He's essentially blew that up to, uh, he's blown that up to 450,000 subs and he's actually built, I think he's built eight, eight figure companies in his life so he's built tech companies in the early 2000s when that bubble was going on Uh, he also built up an enormous eight figure real estate uh, portfolio during that 2008 crash so he's essentially rode every big bubble so he's a pretty clued in guy not just a just a youtube bitcoin shit talker Uh, he's pretty well versed in uh, multiple disciplines Mm. and how'd you get hooked up with him It was honestly very lucky. I was just writing what I thought were very scratchy articles online about macroeconomics and Bitcoin. And I don't know how, but Mark read one of my articles one day and he messaged me on Twitter. I fell off a chair because at the time I was obviously a fan of Mark and I didn't think it was the real Mark Moss account messaging me, but he said, Hey, this is all right. You want to come write for me? And I was like, hell yeah. Uh, I was back in Australia in 2021 and that was my first uh, online job. Interesting.
0: So how did he kind of structure it? So essentially
1: it was just like, you know, 15 bucks an hour, come and write for me. And I ended up writing, um, a lot of the scripts, uh, for his YouTube videos. So I'd do all the research, find all the images, graphs, charts. And, uh, in the 18 months I was working with him, he essentially just hand trained me, uh, how to write emails, Twitter threads, uh, you know, LinkedIn posts, Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much just how to go viral. So, uh, that was very useful for me and many of the businesses, um, I am now actually operating. I'm essentially just taking the lessons that Mark taught me and, uh, you know, uh, putting my own spin on them and, uh, just trying to get that knowledge out there in the world.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're almost like his social media coordinator. Exactly. I feel like I need one of those myself. <laughs> I, I'm sure I can help you out in one way, shape or form. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you, you, well, it wouldn't be you. You're too, uh, you're too expensive now. I need, a... uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish, <laughs> Where does Mark live in Mexico, by the way? Uh, so he's actually,
1: i uh, b- pretty sure he's born and raised in San Clemente, uh, Southern California. He only uh-huh. buys investment properties in Mexico and uh, I think in Baja.
0: Okay. And what does he do? He has like an Airbnb portfolio? Uh, I believe so.
1: I believe so. I think he's got less properties these days, but I know he has at least a couple in Mexico. And every year he does the big dirt bike uh, race that goes from Southern California to Mexico. So he does spend a lot of time there.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. What, what do they call that? The Baja? <sighs> ah, Baja. I can't re- uh, it's got a TV show and everything. Baja and he, road race? Something like that, yeah. You know the Dakar one in Africa? It's I don't. That, right? I'm I'm googling this Baja Road Race. Anyway, so um, and then how did you? So you were already into Bitcoin before you started working with Mark, and then working with Mark. By the way, side note: working with a mentor, great way to Mm. accelerate your path, right? On uh, in terms of learning a skill set. So Mark was kind of your your first big mentor, it seems like, or most recent mentor, and that kind of gave you the blueprint to build up your own Twitter. And your own YouTube and on Twitter at the time of this recording, you got twenty-two thousand followers. <laughs> you were actually bigger than me for a long time, I think. And then um, on on YouTube, you got uh, over a thousand, so you're monetized. You're getting there. Slow and steady. I uh, I've been a little bit
1: distracted growing another YouTube channel for a uh, for a for a Bitcoin account last year. So I grew that thing from zero to four k in a year, but. Uh, nice. So the, the, the personal channel got a little bit uh, neglected, so to say.
0: No, I mean, no shade. <laughs> Mine's like 1600 or something at the time of this recording. So we're literally like quite similar, actually, both on Twitter and on uh, YouTube. Um, random question, though. Do you think when it comes to Bitcoin, it's very different or or I wouldn't say it's like easier in some ways, harder in some ways to build an audience because I feel like there's just a lot more bots with Mm. crypto. And so I feel like a lot of these crypto pages I see have like huge follower accounts and I look at them and I'm like, this has to be half bots. Mm.
1: Yeah, so I think in crypto, so I always like to make a massive distinction between Bitcoin and crypto. Um, If I were to make content in the crypto space, it would be so easy to grow a following super quickly. Uh, so like, for example, just because we're talking about it, I don't like to talk about my my own numbers, but I grew that Bitcoin only uh, channel from zero to 4K in a year. If it was talking about crypto or trading or number go up, like all of the crypto scans, <laughs> that, I could have easily taken that from zero to 20K in a year. Just to kind of give the audience a little bit of... Uh, I, I, my thoughts about the difference in how easy it is to grow a crypto channel. Yeah, because tell, me, in,
0: tell me crypto versus Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, so the high level is, um, I, I, like, I think Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency out of the 22,000 that is actually decentralized and can actually hold up against a government attack. Every other altcoin, 22,000 of them, they're all centralized. They all have a founder. They, all, uh, they, they, they can all change their rules whenever they want to. Um, they all create themselves, you know, 80% of all the tokens. They give them to their friends and their insiders, and they use that um, as a marketing budget. So that's why all of these crypto YouTube channels, uh, have massive sponsorships. They have massive budgets. It's all because of these, uh, scam tokens, giving them free money in the scam token. Um, Mm. so yeah, I think there's so many bots to answer your question. There's so many bots in the, the crypto space. Um, and I think growing an audience in crypto would be super easy because it's just people who just want to get rich. They just want to buy a shit coin that 100 Xs and all of a sudden they're rich in Bitcoin. Mm. That's very different. And it's very difficult because you're trying to educate people on Austrian economics and the geopolitical landscape and how Bitcoin fits into it. It's all very boring, very bland topics. Uh, But, you know, uh, so that's I hope that I hope that answers your question.
0: And you know what? I wouldn't mind getting into some of that Austrian economic stuff on the podcast, so we'll put a pin in that. I just wanted to read out the thing about the the Baja road race, just to close the loop on that. So uh, according to Wikipedia, the Baja 1000 is the annual Mexican off-road motorsport race held in the Baja Peninsula. It is one of the most prestigious off-road races in the world, uh, having attracted people from all over the world, blah, blah, blah. Founded in 1967. There's also the Baja 250, 400, and 500, but the, the 1,000s, I guess, the big one. And there's various classes, including trophy trucks, dirt bikes, truggies, side-by-sides, Baja bugs, and buggies, all competing at the same time on the same course. There you go. Mark does the dirt bike
1: one. And okay. I believe they even have a TV show. So you, you'll be able to watch him hooning around there on his dirt bike. It sounds like a, like it's a very difficult course. I think it's like 13, 14 days straight. Uh, wow. You're camping. It's, it's really rough.
0: That's epic. It says the course has remained relatively the same over the years, about every other event being either a point-to-point race from Ensenada to La Paz or a loop race starting and finishing in Ensenada. That's the Along one. The wow, he does it on a motorcycle. Good thing there's no rain over there.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: that'd make it even worse. That's cool. Do you dirt
1: bike as well? A little bit back in Australia, but it's a little bit more difficult when you're on the road.
0: Um, so I'd love to get into some of your like philosophies and influences, and, and I really like that you do have a good sort of um, historical foundation of things. And I wanted to kick things off by asking who is Buckminster Fuller?
1: Okay. So I love this question. So he's a very influential, uh, American, uh, we'll call him a technologist. So he's written over 30 books on all sorts of different topics. Um, but I'm probably more interested in his views surrounding technology and Buckminster Fuller was one of the first people who ever predicted the emergence of an energy money. So he was actually fascinated with many of the same things that Nikola Tesla was fascinated with all the way back in the late 1800s. Tesla was fascinated with this idea that we would be able to create essentially free and abundant electricity for the entire world. And Buckminster Fuller, nearly 70 years later, uh, had this idea of creating this global energy grid. Um, so I'm no Buckminster Fuller expert. Um, all I know about Bucky is, uh, he, he, he saw how technology could change the world. And in a 1973 interview, uh, he, he predicted Bitcoin. He said, we will create like a digital currency, uh, that will obsolete, uh, gold and dollars, and it will be based upon kilowatt hours. So that is essentially what Bitcoin is. A lot of people call Bitcoin, Bitcoin, uh, energy money. Um, and that's, you know, I think that's a pretty okay analogy describing what Bitcoin is. Um, cause I don't want to get too in the weeds, but you're essentially turning wasted energy or electricity into Bitcoin. That's exactly what a Bitcoin miner does. Mm. It's turning electricity into Bitcoin. Um, mm-hmm. so that's a high level, uh, of, you know, what Buckminster, who Buckminster Fuller is.
0: So I knew about this guy based on his work on geodesic domes, which is basically like, a a dome or a sphere made of little triangles yeah and in Montreal Canada there's a uh, very big geodesic dome called the biosphere the, the biosphere that still exists today it's been there for I think about 60 years since I think since Expo 67 was when they made it I could be wrong on that and it was designed personally by Buckminster Fuller I think in 1967 and so I always kind of knew about this guy and I knew he was like one of those polymaths that did a little bit of everything, futurist. A polymath
1: is a great way to describe him. The, the guy wrote 30 books. Like he's he's pumping out a book every two years. That's that's no, no easy feat.
0: Right. And they're not easy books either. <laughs> no. <laughs> Have you ever picked one up? Like even just like a PDF online and like taking a look at it?
1: I have in the libraries, uh, but I've never made my way all the way through one of his books. They're very dense, you know, written in the 60s. Uh-huh.
0: That's cool. Um, do you think that gold has a place in a, a Bitcoin world or like in a crypto world? Do you think gold is still relevant or is that going to be, you know what I mean? Or Is, is gold going to kind of make a comeback or still be, I'm sure it'll be relevant in some capacity, but where, where do you think? these things kind of fit together. I'll
1: caveat my response by saying that uh, I was buying gold before I was buying Bitcoin. So again, I understand the importance of gold it has been the best money for the past 5,000 years. Um, But I think on a Bitcoin standard, it's going to be obsoleted. Um, I think that's a pretty big claim to make, uh, but I think uh, gold today is priced around $2,000 an ounce, knocking on the door of making a new all-time high. And I would argue that, you know, 90% of gold's value, uh, comes from its monetary premium. So people like Peter Schiff say, ah, oh, gold's always going to have value because it's in teeth, it's in electronics, you know, it's, uh, it, it has use. And I, I think that's true. Like, like gold will still be worth 500 bucks an ounce in 20 years time. Uh, but I think it's going to lose its monetary premium very rapidly the same way that silver's lost its monetary premium over the past 100 years. So a lot of people forget that silver used to actually be the medium of exchange that we used to use for transactions back in the 1700s and 1800s. Gold was very valuable. Most people used to use gold as a store of value, but it's very difficult to go to the shop and buy a loaf of bread with gold because it's worth so much. So people used to use silver as that medium of exchange for smaller transactions. But silver got completely demonetized um, by fiat money, paper money, uh, when that kind of really started to gain popularity in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. And that's just simply because paper money is better technology than silver. Okay, it's a better medium of exchange than silver. So I think uh, the same thing is probably going to happen to gold. Bitcoin is objectively the better technology at storing value than gold is it's mm. it's finite in its supply. Gold is not gold supply is always growing. Gold is not divisible. Bitcoin is divisible into 100 million, you hundred know, million units and eight decimal places. Gold is impossible to transfer around the world. I can send Bitcoin to somebody in Africa in literally five seconds via the lightning network free of charge. Uh, so I just think we could go down the list, but I think Bitcoin is superior money than gold, um, in every way, shape or form objectively. And again, I'm a gold bug, love gold. I love the ideals, uh, that it stands upon Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin. Uh, he, he, he obviously learned a lot from gold and, and the fact that it is sound money. Um, but I think moving into the digital realm, um, it's just not going to make sense that gold keeps much of its monetary premium like bitcoin is digital money for the digital realm Mm.
0: hey guys quick break from the podcast to tell you about job stacking if you're a remote or hybrid worker looking to maximize your earning potential then rolf halza author of job stacking guarantees you'll be able to double your income by implementing his paycheck multiplication layering method this is the exact system Rolf has used to take his own income and those of many others beyond 20K a month. With this method, Rolf contractually guarantees that you'll be able to double your income in 45 days. So, if you're interested in unleashing your earning potential and doubling your income, then click the link in the description and book a call with Rolf right now. Have you ever heard of the uh, Manila Acapulco? shipping route
1: uh it rings a bell but no not well versed on it
0: so acapulco used to be the biggest port on the uh, i guess the entire west coast of the americas and there was a shipping route between acapulco mexico and manila philippines and this shipping route ran for hundreds of years you can google something called the manila galleon and it was um one of the main things that they were shipping or transporting was silver from Mexico, from the mines of Mexico to China, because China was using a silver standard for their currency for a long time.
1: That's fascinating. And it ties into a little bit of what I know about. I always talk about the fact that China lost um, like eighty percent of its money and its value in the late 1800s and the early 1900s because they didn't want to go on to a gold standard with the rest of the world. They refused. They said, "No, we're staying with silver." And this is probably why they did, they wanted to stay with silver because they were probably getting such a great deal from this shipping route from Mexico to uh, the Philippines. But I didn't even know that, and I, I commonly talk about the fact that you know, China was on a silver standard and they suffered the consequences of storing their value in an inferior money, silver at the time of the world using a gold standard. But that's fascinating. I didn't even know that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because people probably know the Philippines was a a Spanish colony for a long time. Um, And then even to this day in Mexico, there's, I guess, probably, there is still a little a little bit of silver production, and there's all these little mining towns all over Mexico, these little Pueblo Mexicos, where you can bu- go and buy silver, and you can go and buy silver jewelry, and some people go and get married in these towns and, like, go buy the wedding ring and, and stuff like that, like, on the spot, and the guys still know how to, like, I don't know, like, bang it out and create custom, custom uh, jewelry and stuff with silver, so, yeah. It's very cool, and now that you mention it, uh, I actually
1: have a little bit of a memory. I went to, I can, I can't pronounce the name of the pyramid. It was chicken Itza, something Itza, like that. Yeah, there, there you go. You can pronounce it far yeah, better, better than me. Up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went to that maybe in 2022, and uh, I don't know whether it was real silver or not, but I paid an obscene amount of money for some little, uh, some little silver-looking medallions at one of the stores uh, there. I probably got the gringo price, but uh, I, I ha- probably have them somewhere. So that's very cool. Uh, silver's still ingrained in that Mexican culture pretty deeply. Mm-hmm. Where, where are you at right now, by the way? So back in El Salvador for Christmas, uh, visiting the girlfriend's family.
0: I love how you say back in El Salvador. It makes it sound like it's the base.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think since I've moved out of Australia, I've spent the most amount of time in El Salvador, probably eight months
0: right now. So you went straight to Mexico and then at some point moved south to El Salvador or how did that happen?
1: Uh, so, so Mexico for a couple of weeks and then, uh, I was in America. I had a base in Southern California for around nine months. And when I was working with Mark, I used to travel around to the different conferences and speaking events that he was speaking at. So I got the chance to see 12 different States in America. Um, and then since then, uh, kind of back to El Salvador, Mexico, back to El Salvador, Mexico, back to El Salvador. And then,
0: yeah. Yeah. How did the first trip to El Salvador come about? Was that with Mark or solo?
1: So that was solo, solo
0: 2022. How'd that go down? You said Mark... I love what you're doing, but I got to go to El Salvador or what, or yeah. what happened?
1: <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. So I, I had a really cool setup in Southern California with him. Uh, like he had like a dedicated YouTube studio that he was renting and I used to go work with him every day in the little uh-huh. studio. We'd have the cameraman and he would film, I'd write and we'd, we'd, uh, we'd have some, uh, mental sparring or some mental debates. I'm always was talking about Bitcoin all day. So it was a great setup, but I couldn't get a visa there. Uh, it's very difficult to get a visa in America. Right. Um, uh, so I, I think I, I stayed for my full 90 days on a, on a tourist visa in the U.S., went to Peru for three weeks to reset my visa, tried to get back into America. I nearly got fucking detained. They, they took me into the back room of immigration. They said, give us your phone, give us your laptop, no phone calls, no internet connection. Uh, you have to wait here until you're being uh, questioned. Um, and they, they kind of said, hey, look, you know, you stayed in America for your full 90 days. You only left for three weeks and you're trying to come back you trying to live in America illegally, son. I was like, no, no, of course not. I'm a tourist. Um, so yeah, essentially I, uh, I essentially uh, got given the boot from uh, America's strict uh, immigration no policies. No way.
0: They wouldn't let you in.
1: No. So I did get back in, but I wasn't allowed to do it again. Um, and I,
0: I couldn't get a long-term visa. Okay. So post Peru, post the detainment, they let you in eventually? Yep. They did, yeah. But you're like, yeah, I'm not overstaying.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's very difficult too because they said, uh, show, show us the fact that you have money. We want to be sure that you have money and you're not trying to earn money in America. And I said, sorry, mate, all my money's in Bitcoin. I don't hold fake dollars or fake money. And it made the negotiation uh tactic a little bit more difficult on my end because they wanted to say bank accounts or they wanted to know how much Bitcoin I owned and I, I told them to take a hike, Mike I'm not telling you how much fucking Bitcoin I got. That's the first rule of Bitcoin um, so yeah, it made it very difficult, but eventually they let me in.
0: hmm interesting and so to this day, like are you like ninety five percent of your net worth in bitcoin or or what?
1: 99. Why would 99? I keep 5% in Fiat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent.
0: And how does that work logistically?
1: Depending on the country you're in, uh, it could be sometimes slightly difficult, but typically just, uh, I'll, I'll go to a local Bitcoin meetup, sell some Bitcoin for some Fiat or just go to a local Bitcoin ATM, get some local Fiat. Uh, in Argentina, it was super easy, uh, because I could, uh, just like there's cash dealers everywhere in Argentina, so I could just swap Bitcoin uh, for pesos at the blue dollar rate. Um, in El Salvador, it's uh, I've been here for two weeks and I haven't used fiat so far. Uh, just been using Bitcoin everywhere I go. Um, there's a, even for
0: like buying fruit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uber Uber drivers. I have an Uber driver who's a Bitcoiner, uh, so he drives me around everywhere. Him and his friends, and they only pay in Bitcoin. And all every major supermarket here accepts
0: Bitcoin, which is cool. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like we're a bit out of order because I wanted to just get more of that story, how you got from Mexico to El Salvador, and then maybe we can come back to some of the logistics of living on on Bitcoin because I am quite interested uh, in, in what that kind of looks like, especially in Latin America. So um, how did you get to El Salvador? I'm, so you have a girlfriend now that's uh, Um but I, I imagine you met her in El Salvador. So, so maybe that first trip down, you, you just wanted to... Go check out the country and stuff.
1: Yep. Yeah. So met her mid 2022, um, was, was, uh, was originally planning on, I think only being there for a month and then going to catch up with some friends in Mexico, but, uh, met the girlfriend and ended up staying for seven months. Um, it's a really cool thing about El Salvador as well is how quickly they can get things done. Cause at the time they only had a three month tourist visa, And I was Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, it's going to be a pain in the ass trying to extend visas. But I was pleasantly surprised. Like, you just go in. um, They were asking me, like, you know, what's your reason for extending your visa? And at the time, like, I couldn't speak Spanish. So I just said, uh, uh, yo tengo amigos aquí. Me gusta el playa. Me gusta Bitcoin. And that was the reason I wrote on, like, the official tourist extension uh, tourist extension form and they accepted it so they're very easy going in el salvador (laughs) and it was done in an hour i just just said uh, for the people who don't speak spanish i just said i have friends here i like bitcoin uh i like beach and they accepted that for uh, for for they they gave me an extra three months in the country so ended up staying there for seven months and convinced her finally to leave her uh job so she quit her job um, to come work with me on the road and, and then obviously you obviously have the family dynamic of dating Latinas, which is an extra headache because they're very, mm. very close with their family and many families in El Salvador expect you to be married before you start traveling with your boyfriend. So, uh, we, we eventually got her over the line and I, uh, pulled her from a home country, El Salvador. And since then, uh, Pam and I've just been traveling around. And
0: where, where, have you, uh, brought her
1: against her will? <laughs> so So since then we did Six Months Colombia. Uh we kinda bounced oh, between lot, right? Yeah, we Dude, did you the keep same. saying
0: everything's like six months, I'm like, how the hell all this stuff happened <laughs> since 2022,
1: you know? I, my math doesn't check out. Yeah, so we did six months Colombia bouncing between Medellin and Santa Marta. Um and then we did three months Brazil. So we did uh Rio, Floripa And, uh, Sao Paulo and we did most recently, we did two months in Argentina. Um, we were super boring there and we only stayed in the capital city and now we're back in El Salvador.
0: Got it. And have you upgraded to any kind of residency visa in El Salvador?
1: I have not, I've been very lazy, um, just been bouncing around on tourist visas for the past couple of years.
0: Okay, cool might be able to help you with that. Um, side note, if I can plug, so uh, we do help with uh, every different type of El Salvador residency, visa, just so the audience is aware. Uh, we do residency for every country in Latin America at this point, El Salvador included. So we can uh, we can help anyone listening to this. Um, but if I can ask Luke, so tell me a bit about the Latina family dynamic. Uh, I don't want to get you in trouble, but just, you know, I just want to hear about it through the perspective of an Australian with the whole kind of foreign culture thing, and maybe some culture shocks that you've experienced. I've experienced all sorts of culture shocks. Um,
1: when I when I initially arrived in El Salvador, I was like, I was super scared because this was during the time in 2022, El Salvador had a big spate of homicides like 90 people got murdered uh, in one weekend in February. So I arrived in El Salvador a little bit after then, and you know, you know, the propaganda
0: uh, that was like the-, the final weekend where after that, mm-hmm. uh, Bukele was like, Yo, now we're yeah. sending the army in. Was that like that final weekend? Yeah, we're going okay, to fucking okay. war with the gangs,
1: and I was sitting okay, okay. there. I was watching that from abroad thinking shit. Well, you know, am I going to get caught in some crossfire here in El Salvador? But I thought, Hey, it may as well go. So, so culture shock. Yes. There's lots of culture shock just in regards to how everything's different, but the family dynamics is a really interesting one, uh, because the girlfriend's family is like extra Christian. Like they go to church on the weekends. Um, so, it, and that's very different to like, uh, American, Australian culture. Like there is no culture in Australia. People just, you know, sleep around very promiscuous, uh, very little family values. Uh, like, like I'm a fitting example of that. I haven't talked to my mom or dad in like eight years. Uh, like I moved out of home when I was 16, um, and, you know, catch surfing, things like that, uh, that kind of thing in El Salvador is unheard of. Uh, like typically the families are very close in El Salvador and, um, you know, so, the girlfriend's family is very close. Both of her brothers uh, still live at home, and they're in their like their mid twenties. That's a little bit more uncommon in Australia. Like, um, yeah, I, I suppose. So that's very different. That was a culture shock. Um, and I tell you what, it's even more difficult when you don't speak the local language fluently. Uh, like I don't really know a whole bunch of Spanish. I know enough to get around and be a little bit dangerous. Uh, but the, the girlfriend's parents both only speak Spanish. So that, uh, that that's from times it could be a little bit awkward if you're having like a deep and meaningful conversation. Um, and you can't do that fluently. So yeah, there's certainly lots of, uh, interesting dynamics as a Westerner that you do see in these Latin American countries, but, uh, like. For me personally, uh I prefer like this more traditional kind of values that you do see in uh Latin America. It's um I'm I'm not a fan of Western values and Western culture. So for me, I I take the good with the bad. Uh yes, it can be difficult sometimes to pry uh my girlfriend out of the hands of her, her parents, but um so it they're, should they're... be. <laughs> <I> mean... <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
0: Okay. And do you have them on WhatsApp? Like, do you have the parents or the brothers on WhatsApp?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty, we, we, we do Christmas together and all of that. We, we're pretty close. Yeah. How did Christmas go? Christmas is great. I, it's funny enough. I actually, so they do Christmas in El Salvador on the 24th. Uh, so we did Christmas on 24th and on the 25th, I don't know how I did it, uh, but I roped them in into coming to a Bitcoin meetup at the Bitcoin embassy here in El Salvador. Uh, so there's a little meetup coming on and, uh, originally the girlfriend's parents were just going to drop me and Pam off at the, uh, the Bitcoin embassy. I said, nah, nah, why don't you come in, come, come in and get some food and say hello. And so yeah, I, uh. I, uh, I'm always spreading my Bitcoin propaganda to everyone, especially the parents-in-law. So, uh, so brought them in, introduced them to some of the local Bitcoiners there, and it, it was it was great fun.
0: Okay, that was probably good for the parents to kind of see that you're, you know, involved in the community and that you have, um, you know, some purpose and, and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, especially kind of being around uh, Bitcoiners because I think most people's perception of Bitcoiners is like a crypto perception. Oh, you know, uh, a Bitcoiner just wants to get rich. You know, they they're exploiting capitalism by moving around in these Latin American countries, bringing their wealth that they didn't earn. They just earned it through speculation, and like that's kind of not the case at all with Bitcoiners. Very again, very different to the crypto crowd. Uh, so yeah. I think it was good for them to meet. Um, A lot of these Bitcoiners who are like very, very grounded in reality and they're very like conscious about what they're doing here in El Salvador, like many of the Bitcoiners here, like they are on a mission. They really want to improve this country. Like El Salvador is one of the countries that has suffered the most over the past 20 years. Uh, like the, the people, like, for example, my girlfriend's family, they've had like six telephones stolen from them, from the local gangs over the years. So the brother's been, had two phones flogged, the girlfriend one, the other brother two, the dad one. So like innocent, nice people just have been absolutely beaten down for years. So... I think it's, it's it's you know it's very poetic that um, you know they are embracing freedom, money, and they're cleaning up the gangs. They're cleaning up the crime, and a lot of the bitcoiners who are living here they want to genuinely see the people of El Salvador actually get a foot up, and they want to actually see their uh, standard of living improve. So it was nice for the the girlfriend's parents to actually see some more bitcoiners who could speak spanish more fluently and kind of say hey look we fucking love your country we're here for we want to improve it you know how can we help right
0: Right. because the parents probably don't interact with foreigners on a regular basis other than yourself so it's probably interesting for the parents to see like oh there's other foreigners and they're kind of thriving yeah, exactly. It, it was very
1: nice. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't give the most professional impression. I'm, I'm, you know, walking around with a fucking crazy haircut, uh, you know, fucking socks and thongs, singlets
0: everywhere. So they probably think, do you gel your hair with spikes or does it just do that?
1: It's fucking crazy, man. I got hair wax in it. I, it's uh, it's an absolute okay. mess. Okay. So you use some kind of wax
0: or something. Yeah. It's like part of your look, I think on YouTube and stuff is like you got so maybe your your super fans are happy. I'm asking you like, what's actually going on with the hair? What do what's your what's your routine? What's the hair routine? It's fucking it's
1: it's too long. That's what it is. It's fucking (laughs) hair wax in, throw it around. I look like a puffball when I don't have uh, hair wax in. In my defense, Um, it just looks strange. So I've kind of resorted to it from a young age, and I've stuck with it.
0: Hey guys, quick break from the episode to tell you about BitRefill. BitRefill allows you to shop online and in person without banks, converting your crypto directly into merchant balance. We're talking gift cards to Nike, Amazon, Apple, Airbnb, hotels.com, and many more, all paid for with crypto. BitRefill offers more than 10,000 gift card options in 180 countries all across Latin America, including Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Argentina, El Salvador, and many more. You can also apply the code MyLatinLife at checkout to get 10% back on your first purchase. Go to bitrefill.com for more information. Okay. Cool. What's your wax of choice? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. It changes every country you go to here in Latin America
1: because I was, I was in El Salvador 2022 trying to get my wax of choice and it would have cost me about $40 a tub when you account for the shipping costs. So I think, ah, fuck this. I just go to a... I go to one... I, I always go to a tub, a tub of wax that doesn't make me look like a slick back Mexican. So they all use that gel and it's all like really shiny and shit. So I'll use one that's not like that. An the anti
0: shine like one,
1: okay. Anti shine,
0: okay. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> and back to the family thing because I think this is huge, and we don't hear about this enough. It's very, it's very, du- it's very tough to crystallize this in tweets, for example. But I feel like in a podcast format, format, it's a little bit easier to just explain how how much closer the families are and what your experience has been with. That maybe, like, for example, I'm just queuing you up, but maybe your girlfriend's on the phone like two hours a day with her family, and you're like, How are you still on the mm-hmm. phone? Like, what is going on? I don't, you know, things like that.
1: You absolutely nailed it. It's funny, we've never talked about that for the listeners, but like, whenever we're traveling, it's literally two hours a night that she'd be and on the and phone. And it kind of parents. works
0: out because you get to work and do your Bitcoin thing, and you're on. <laughs> I don't know, whatever, coinmarketcap.com or something. And she's just like on the phone, like doing the cheese, May.
1: Yeah, it's a win win situation. You get a little bit of a, I bet, I bet I hope she doesn't listen to this part of the podcast, but I get a little bit of a break. You know, she gets to talk to the family. She's rejuvenized, you know, re energized. She loves talking to the family. It's a win win.
0: Yeah, it's so funny. It's like when I use my phone, it's because I'm like making money. I'm like talking to Mm. like clients, potential clients. And with her, she's like on the phone just as much, but it's just with like six family members type of thing. It's like, yeah, it's crazy.
1: It's very different. And like, I very rarely just talk to friends or family from Australia because I'm the same as you. Like, I won't use my phone unless it's somewhat business related. I don't use fucking Facebook or Instagram right. or Snapchat, any of that trash. Um, yeah. So it's just one of the differences with this, you know, tight knit family uh, and this kind of traditional culture that you do see in Latin America.
0: Have you gone to church with them?
1: No, no, I haven't. Oh, uh, well, Why? I know, I know it's the mom and dad do it. The, the kids don't even do it that much anymore.
0: Okay, do it. You should do it. I think it's cool yeah. to at least, have you seen the inside of the churches?
1: Uh, not one in El Salvador, but I went to a Catholic school back in Australia. So we uh-huh. used to have to do it every Sunday.
0: Ah, uh, you got to check it out. At least like, cause one thing about Catholic churches is they leave the doors open like basically every single day until mm. until nightfall. And so you can always just pop your head in. And, you know, they're usually some of the most um, architecturally Mm -hmm. valuable buildings in a particular city, right, where they were built hundreds of years ago. There's tons of gold, ornate stuff and old paintings. So it's fun, even if you don't go during a mass, just to pop your head in to the church and kind of get the vibe for things. And I think it provides some cultural context as well.
1: Oh, I, d- I definitely co-sign that. I think your churches, architecturally, they're the most beautiful buildings in any city you'll go to. We went to, I don't remember the name of the cathedral in Sao Paulo, but it's one of the most popular tourist right attractions. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, I know what you're yeah. talking about. It's With the like, steps
0: out front. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, the big steps. It's the most gorgeous building. The girlfriend and I has probably spent 30 minutes inside, just, you know, jaws on the ground, just absolutely in shock at how beautiful this thing is. Um, so, I definitely do co sign that, even though I haven't been to one here in El Salvador. We do check out uh, the other ones in some of the other countries we've been to, though.
0: So, in El Salvador, where are you? Are you in the beach or are you in the mountains? I kind of bounce around. Uh, so,
1: I'll be in El Zonte, Bitcoin Beach, for a bit. Um, you know, it, it depends upon. with well, this podcast, you know, it'll come out in the future. So, I, I can be a little bit more loose with where I am. I'd be in the city right now. Um, but in El Salvador's a. Salvador. Yeah. San Salvador, very okay. small country. So you, there's, there's actually like, you can drive two hours either side and get to the coast. Um, so it's really cool. Lots of things to do.
0: Got it. And how do you like, how does accommodation work? Cause I haven't been yet and I want to, you know, kind of think about the logistics. Are you doing Airbnbs or like when you're at the coast, like, where do you stay?
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm normally doing Airbnbs when I'm in the city. Uh, on the when I go down to El Zonte, there's uh, there's, there's there's lots of really cool uh, like beachfront um, like little hotels that all accept Bitcoin. Like their Bitcoin is there, so uh, they'll be my that my choice when I go stay on the beach hotels. in El Zante.
0: Yeah. So okay, okay. So uh, on the beach, you go to hotels when you're in the city. Airbnbs. Yeah. Okay, cool. And have you been to the other cities like Santa Ana and or San Miguel or I kind of forget the names now, but you know, like all the kind of like tier B, tier C cities. Have you checked some of those out?
1: Yeah, I've done Santa Ana. Uh, it's a really cool little city. It actually reminds me of, it reminds me of a slightly underdeveloped um in uh, Peru. It's like mm. really like very similar architecture and uh obviously the more remote it is uh, the more interesting the culture gets uh like some of those places in Peru that I was going you know they would look at me like I was an alien with three heads you know I'm I'm white I'm you know I I've an Santa Ana Well Santa Ana and some of the places in Peru as well they both don't get many tourists huh. Um, so, you know, they would just be gawking at, you know, this weird looking thing that I am, I look very different to the, to the local. So yeah, Santa Ana's really nice. Um, I'm planning on going out to Berlin because there's a little thriving. I was going to uh, ask,
0: dude, I was going to ask if you've been to Berlin.
1: It's on the, it's on the, it is certainly on the list of things to do. I'm making another documentary about my time uh, here in El Salvador, like a follow-up to the one I made last year. And right now there's like a thriving Bitcoin community out in Berlin. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna have to go and check that out that out as well.
0: We have a a podcast episode. It's not out at the time of this recording, but it'll probably come out before yours with Nikki and James.
1: Dude, great find. They are some of my favorite Bitcoiners.
0: They're cool, right? So there's Nikki and James are in Berlin and also the what's his name? Guillaume, the French dude. Yeah. Is that his name? You pronounce it better than I could. <laughs> yeah, uh, Nick is Nick,
1: Yeah, Nick and James, uh, when I got in El Salvador, they were one of the first people who just reached out and wanted to help me with everything I needed. They're very, very cool. I recommend anyone who's interested in El Salvador or Bitcoin head on over to their YouTube channel and. Uh, watch some of the videos of them on the ground in El Salvador or just wait until uh, the podcast with Nikki and James comes out uh, in the future yes. with you here on My Latin Life.
0: Yeah, they, I guess they're on YouTube and also on Twitter and you guys can just search Nikki James El Salvador and it should come right up. And they're, yeah, they're one of the biggest promoters, I think. Like they kind of even know like Stacy and Max Kaiser and stuff. Yeah, they're really cool and they're they're always trained to do more to help
1: the community. I think that's one of the reasons they left, you know, El Zonte or La Libertad where they were and they wanted to go out to Berlin and help kind of, you know, accelerate and push this Bitcoin adoption everywhere in the country. Like it's not just, I know like some people are cautious of, you know, El Salvador just becoming a Bitcoin country where the rich kind of just hang out in one very small pocket of the country. And, you know, that's mm. kind of not, uh, what's happening. Like a lot of the Bitcoin is there are trying to push adoption everywhere in the country, which is really mm. nice to see.
0: That's cool. How have you seen things change over the past two years? Um, cause the word's obviously out now. Mm. Yeah.
1: So, so I've forgotten how friendly people are in El Salvador. So I obviously stayed for seven months in 2022. I did enjoy my time. And that's partially because the people, they're so friendly. Um, and, you know, I've been away from El Salvador for nine months. I did, you know, Brazil, Colombia, Argentina. I come back to El Salvador this week. I was like, oh, shit. Like these people are so friendly here. i kind of forgotten. I think they're the most friendly people in Latin America. Uh, they're so happy, really? so cheerful. Oh, yeah, yeah very happy, very cheerful. Um, and, and obviously I'm a gringo who doesn't speak that good as Sp- Spanish and they're still very welcoming and everything with me. Um, so, uh, and what's improved, I think people are becoming more accustomed with gringos now. So I, I still get the odd, you know, look here or then, but when I was here in 2022, the Bitcoin law had only just passed and there wasn't a whole lot of gringos or tourists here. Uh, But from all of the locals I've talked to here, apparently they are seeing more and more gringos and tourists here. Uh, So the people are still very welcoming, still very friendly. Um, Like even in the past year, there's been so much change. Uh, Like for example, when I first got to El Zonte Bitcoin Beach, I essentially flew from Southern California to El Zonte, El Salvador. So one of the richest countries in the world, one (laughs) of the poorest parts in the world. And before I got to El Zonte, El Salvador, I was, when I say I did Mexico, I didn't really do Mexico. I faked it. I only went to Tulum and like Playa del Carmen, like very nice, you know, touristy locations. So I got a hell of a culture shock when I landed in El Zonte because there's no roads. There's no lights at night. So after 6pm, it's pitch black. Uh, There's no Ubers. Oh yeah, this was El Zonte last year, 2022. Um, But coming back this year, um, they've already like decked out the whole Bitcoin beach with like proper paved roads and there's nights at lights. Yeah. And this is only in like under 12 months. Um, like even the airport completely transformed when I first got there in 2022, uh, it was, it was just a stock standard airport, you know, nothing special, but even coming back like this year, they've done a bunch of renovations. They must've spent tens of millions of dollars, uh, you know, getting the airport up and about, uh, like, everywhere in the country is improving and it's like, it's really interesting. And like, obviously it's that it's gone from being the one of the most dangerous countries in the world in 2021 to one of the safest in the world in 2023. And like the people that here that you talk to about it, like they absolutely love it. Like they're, they're, they're saying, look, this country is a completely different country. I can actually let my kids outside at night and go and play on the street. Like that, that was Never thought about five years ago. Like that was way too dangerous. So yeah, it's El Salvador is improving in in every aspect and it's amazing to see.
0: Wow. I didn't realize you were gone for nine months. I don't know how you convinced the family to let you go nine months with the the (laughs) daughter.
1: Well, well, funny story. Funny story. First time we left, first time we left, we told them that we were only going to leave for one month. Uh and it got to the end of the one month and you know the girlfriend's like hey you know we're kind of enjoying Colombia we might stay a little bit longer and um yeah it got to two months and then it was uh the mum's birthday and obviously like birthdays are like big things for, for for them and so that got a little bit awkward there was a couple of um yeah uh, awkward, uh, conversations on the phone at about the two month stage. But, uh, we just eventually kept pushing out our stay and we're like, Hey, you know, we've been going for three months now, we're enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, so it turned into a nine month trip until we returned. Uh, but they were very good about it. It, it was funny. Six months into our trip, um, the, the mum and one of her brothers were actually scheduled to go on a trip to Europe. Um, so it was like a big thing for them. They don't travel much. Um, but, uh, what the trip to Europe got canceled last minute. So, uh, we were kind of like, Hey, why don't you come and stay with us in Colombia? Like we'll pay for the Airbnb and all of that. Uh, you know, you've taken two weeks off work for this trip to Europe. Why don't you come to Colombia and, uh, come and, come and hang out with us. Um, so this was, uh, so yeah, they, the, the mom and one of her brothers came and stayed with us for a couple of weeks in Colombia, And, uh, that certainly helped, helped my chances at, uh, you know, taking her away again next time on yeah. a, on a, on a why, long Why did time. you
0: have to do so much time in Colombia? I don't even get it. Like what was, because it's like basically the same thing. Like it's the same climate. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you could have just been in El Salvador.
1: Yeah. Well, Colombia is 50% cheaper than El Salvador. Uh, mm. and I was, so I'm best friends with, uh, a kid named, uh, Josh, Joshua Lassard twenty-one years old, and he's going to be a billionaire. So I'd pencil his name if you're listening in. The, the kid's an absolute freak, but he works full time for uh, George Gamut. He's another YouTuber who, like Mark, has you know about a half a million uh, followers. George Gamet does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It rings
0: a bell. But okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm best friends with Josh, and we got hooked up living in one of George's apartments in Medellin, and. Uh, like obviously George and Josh are super close friends. Uh, so we got a super sweet deal on it. We got a like penthouse apartment for really cheap uh, three bedroom apartment. Um, so we kind of didn't want to leave like the food and everything in Columbia is so cheap. We got to hang out with George um, on the weekends and, you know, at night he'd take us to all of the fanciest restaurants in Medellin. So we got a great deal uh, in Medellin. So we, we ended up staying for six months. We really enjoyed it.
0: Okay, got it. I knew that there must have been something there.
1: Hmm. You, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Medellin and Colombia in uh, general?
0: I like Medellin. I think it's cool. I, I like Colombia. Um, you I wouldn't spend I, six I wanna, months I there? I don't have like a crazy take that, to like drop on the podcast right now. I think it's um, pretty good. It's I, I like Mexico more though, to be honest. Um, I think it has more culture. I think it's a little bit safer. Obviously, it's a little bit more expensive, but I think it is more like regional variation and, uh, and like more different cities and stuff. Like, Colombia is sort of limited in terms of the number of cities there are and stuff. So, um, I like Mexico. But I mean, El Salvador, man, I, I, uh, I would really like to spend some time there. Very soon. I would would really like to do multiple months and like get into it. I would. there's certainly less things to do
1: in El Salvador. Like obviously I've talked a lot about the benefits of El Salvador on the podcast. Don't get me wrong. It's still like a developing country. Uh, like the infrastructure in the city is certainly improving. Like some of the malls look no different to some of the malls you see in America, like super modernized, very Western, um, you know, just given the, the listener a full breadth of what to expect in El Salvador. Like I I spent six months there in 2022 for me, it was a bit long. I was like, Hey, you know, I'm bored. Let's go, let's go, you know, check out some of the other cool places around the world. But I think you should definitely check it out. It's a cool little country and, you know, uh, check out El Zonte, Bitcoin beach. Um, they've also got some really cool volcanoes there. Um, Mm -hmm. That is certainly worth a look. Uh, we're going to go and do the. There's wine. even
0: some Mayan ruins right near San Salvador. Have you checked those out? We haven't done those yet. Uh, Hit that up, bro. You probably just Uber there. I think. Yeah, we get going to. Yeah, there's check some cool Mayan ruins because it's like the furthest south of the Mayan civilization. So there still mm-hmm. are a bunch of pyramids and stuff uh, dotted a little bit throughout El Salvador.
1: Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to put that on the, on the bucket list. Uh, but yeah, I think you'll definitely enjoy your time if you end up coming down here to El Salvador.
0: Yeah. It's, it's been on the to-do list for a while. Um, amazing. And w- what would be the downsides of El Salvador? Like other than getting bored? <laughs> yeah. Like, what, yeah so, what, are the, what are the downsides?
1: So getting bored is certainly a big one. Uh, it's more expensive for example. Uh, like, uh, I just got Absolute, I got raped with a $4 coffee today at Starbucks. I like obviously living in Argentina where everything's half price in Argentina. Uh, so I, I'm assuming that things would be... A, Wait, be they have third... Starbucks in El Salvador? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. accept Bitcoin at Starbucks. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. But it's a coffee
0: it... country, so you can obviously get cheap coffee by the kilo and stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so it's more expensive in El Salvador. Yeah uh what are the downsides boring <sighs> nothing nothing <laughs> i don't else. think it,
0: there's no way it's boring i mean anyway but keep going it's it's
1: le- yeah less to see like like for example uh, like we we were just in the capital city of argentina and you you every corner you go around there's like this new gorgeous building like the architecture there is so interesting it's fascinating uh, like just, just walking places in Argentina was really, really cool. I think maybe San Salvador is less, less walkable and certainly less attractive when you're walking around. So there's that. Um, but, uh, aside from that, like there's they're the major downsides, I suppose. Uh, some people, some people think, uh uh obviously the country has a like a uh, uh how to uh, let me make sure i say this carefully and not get myself in trouble uh they have martial law so uh it's very common to see the military walking around the streets with guns um obviously yeah, in like, know salvador oh yeah yeah okay yeah. Yep. yeah so very common to see like uh the military walking around with big machine guns um yeah. so like obviously i'm a bitcoin um I I prefer there be no governments anywhere. I'm, you know, libertarian. Um, obviously El Salvador is a little bit of a unique example, but there'll be some libertarians who are, who kind of shit on El Salvador a bit. And they're like, yes, they cleaned up the country, but, uh, they're living under martial law. Um, so, you know, that's another caveat. And maybe some people might perceive that as being a downside. Um, yeah, that's all I can think of. How about you?
0: Honestly, from my perspective, if I could, Go for walks at night and wear AirPods blissfully. That would be huge. If I could walk around feeling invincible in Latin America, the same way I, I kind of do in Canada or the States, um, even though it's probably misplaced in the States. But mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I I think that would be awesome. So I think that's one cool benefit El Sal- of El Salvador is you can just walk around and feel invincible. and you can't really do that in a lot of places in Latin America, unfortunately. Not that Latin America is any more unsafe than the United States, for example, but uh, but I think that's a huge benefit of El Salvador. So I think that's cool. And then, you know, when you got, you got the beach, you got volcanoes, Buy a, you could buy like a Toyota Hilux, uh, Hilux truck or something for less than a Bitcoin and just be like ripping around the country, doing all these crazy waterfalls and hikes and visiting the Mayan ruins and this and that. uh, I I think that'd be pretty cool. Definitely
1: a cool country. And uh, I don't know if I've said it, but I'm going to double down on it. If I have said it already, easily the safest country I've been to by, by a long shot, you really do feel invincible. Uh, You know, first couple of times I was walking around at night in 2022, I felt really weird because at night, there was nobody on the streets when it's dark. Absolutely nobody. This was just after like the big spate of violence. But now there's more people doing things at night. You know, the culture is adjusting to that. And yeah. you, I think you'd be absolutely fine in the country.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it probably took time for people to adjust their patterns a bit. And I guess you kind of skip that when you're out of the country. So it must have felt very night and day. Dude, like that's crazy because, you know, you're in the country basically during the historic shift you dip for nine months go to brazil blah 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 when you come back there's roads, there's lights there's people in the streets after dark it's like night and day
1: it's a completely different country it's it's like a lot of people are saying el salvador is going to become the singapore of latin america in 20 or 30 years and like i can certainly see that like if you look at the trajectory of the country in just only two years mm-hmm. like if bukele gets reelected as president I'm pretty mm. bullish on what the country can achieve.
0: This episode of the My Latin Life podcast is brought to you in part by Job Stacking, introducing Rolf Haltz's paycheck multiplication layering method, a revolutionary approach that redefines the traditional career path. This is Rolf's new Done With You program where he'll work with you to implement Job Stacking for yourself. With this method, Rolf contractually guarantees that you'll be able to double your income in 45 days. So, are you ready to step out of the shadows of job insecurity and step into a world of career abundance? Then just click the link in the description of this episode, book a call with Rolf, and start walking the path of unleashing your earning potential with job stacking. Yeah, and what's interesting about that um, prediction is that we recently saw Panama have issues with protests and with that mine, right? Mm. And the fact that they um, canceled that mining contract in Panama, according to a lot of observers, kind of demonstrates that Panama is like less capitalistic. And like, I'm not saying that right, but that Panama, you know what I mean? That that Mm. contracts are not 100% enforced or... Capitalism can kind of, I don't know, it's like a little bit creaky, you could mm-hmm. say. Whereas in El Salvador, it's really on the up and up and kind of pro capitalism. So it'd be kind of cool in the future if El Salvador really developed their financial markets and got to a, and really made it a goal of theirs to displace Panama as sort of the financial hub. Of Central America and and really of Latin America, and I could see it happen because hmm. it's Uruguay and it's Panama. Uruguay is is great right now and it does really well. And we, by the way, we help people set up remote bank accounts in El Salvador. You guys can message us; we can get you a bank account in. Uh, sorry, in um, well, we can in El Salvador, but I meant in Uruguay. Or in Panama, we can get you bank accounts in Uruguay and Panama. And they're both great. But I feel like Uruguay might get a little bit infected by the woke stuff. Mm -hmm. And then Panama has always been like had this weird relationship with capitalism. Uh, They've always had a weird relationship with capitalism. And so I think El Salvador could very easily take the throne if they just put their mind to it. Let me let me again backtrack just slightly.
1: I just thought of another downside of El Salvador. So I obviously escaped Australia because of the COVID hysteria and the madness. And I, I just hate seeing people with masks around. There's certainly more mask wearing in El Salvador than any other country. Uh, again, it's not mandated. The government doesn't care. The government is very anti-woke and they were one of the first governments to actually Reverse their 2020 stance uh like in 2021 mm-hmm. they came out and they produced like a an official government video that went on all the social media sites and they were kind of saying look the best thing you can do for your health is actually uh surprise surprise eat good food get sunlight exercise and take ivermectin a drug that was banned in australia uh, i hope that doesn't get your channel uh this video deleted on youtube if it does maybe <laughs> just cut yeah cut hey, this section out wait, wait,
0: wait. <laughs> Cut! <laughs> Keep going.
1: Yeah, so uh, so again, uh, that, that's maybe... Personally, I don't like seeing people in masks and you know maybe there's 2% of the population still wearing masks in El Salvador, so it's more prevalent than the rest of Latin America. So I see that as a downside. But going back to El Salvador displacing Panama, what we're actually talking about, I 100% see that in the cards for El Salvador. Like even, for example, their most recent... Uh, $1 million freedom visa initiative uh, mm. that they pushed through. We, I'm sure we can get into an interesting discussion about whether that's too expensive or too cheap. There's been lots of chatter about that online. Uh, but I heard on a recent podcast with Max and Stacey that they're about to be handing out those passports next month already. So it came out literally two weeks ago, this $1 million Uh, dollar freedom passport. And it looks as if the people are already getting their passports like six weeks later. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. I think this kind of, and for example, El Salvador also, uh, so Bickele completely scrapped like most taxes for any technology companies. So it wasn't just like Bitcoin companies. He was like, Hey, all these tech companies, we want them coming to El Salvador. So I don't know if he completely scrapped the taxes to zero or he dropped them to very low. But, uh, like he's opening up the country for, for the capitalists to come in and open business. So I, I like, if if you just look at how radically things have changed in two years, uh, like again, the human mind cannot think in exponentials. We, we, our mind is, you know, trained to think linearly. Uh, but I think like the change that El Salvador can bring in five years, I think it could be absolutely enormous.
0: It's true. I mean, if they've done this much in basically 18 months, I mean, psh, crazy. They even... And, t- you go. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, um, I was looking at it. Uh, El Salvador's population is 6.3 million. Panama is, off the top of my head, is around 4.2, maybe 4.5 max. So there's actually 2 million more people in El Salvador for which, you know, all else being equal, if GDP per capita was equal, that would make El Salvador 50% bigger. Obviously El Salvador doesn't have the canal, but, um, yeah, I mean, manpower. El Salvador
1: also has a benefit that those stats don't show. I believe there's actually more Salvadorians living outside of the country than inside the country. So I'm not sure whether that statistic takes Hmm. into the fact all of the people living outside uh so again massive caveat i'm just talking shit here on the podcast so this could be wrong but does that mean there's also six or seven million salvadorians living in mexico or america um because i was looking at the the international migration figures recently for el salvador and for years it's been net negative so salvadorians have been fleeing their country because they're scared of the gangs and their violence and there's no economic opportunity so they're going elsewhere but recently that's beginning to kind of turn around and it looks as if it's going to actually flip next year where you're going to actually see Salvadorians coming back to the country as opposed to leaving it. Mm-hmm. And this would be the first time this has happened in 20 years. So uh, so El Salvador could um, actually have like 12, me- 12 million
0: Salvadorians
1: or um, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's right, but.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's a very fast path to citizenship. Three years, I believe, three years of residency to citizenship. Uh, they do, I think they encourage birth tourism as well. I'm not sure if you get permanent residency right off the bat. I, my, my, I would suspect that yes, if you had a baby in El Salvador as a foreigner, you would get instant PR. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be, it'd be a really, really cool passport to have.
1: I think I'm going to start uh, that, uh, this year, the only issue I've got is I've really got my heart set on getting the Argentinian passport. Uh, you have to stay in Argentina for more than six months a year. So, uh, depending upon the requirements with El Salvador, I'm not sure how many months a year you have to stay there when you're on that temporary residency. In El Salvador? I would say, uh, yeah, six, six months a year as well. Yeah, so that will would pose a difficulty. But if you're someone looking for just any sort of passport like like I am, uh, El Salvador is like a no-brainer. It's not the best passport. Obviously, for travel, it's one of the worst. Uh, but if you have another passport in your toolkit, that's what you want, especially if you're sitting there with an American or a Canadian or an Australian passport like myself, you need a plan B because you know citizenship-based taxation, it's coming. A lot of these Western countries are probably going to start rolling that yeah. out. Um, you so, think so? Oh yeah, yeah. Australia's already hinted at it uh, yep. in 2023. They started talking about it. Um,
0: Didn't they implement something though? It was like they made it harder to leave, something like that.
1: I think so. And I actually had a chat with an accountant last week, and he, I asked him about this specifically, and he said, oh, nah, you know, I haven't heard anything major. I can easily fill out an exit tax form for you, and you can uh, that you don't have any tax obligations." To Australia. So if you're an Australian, I think you might have a, sh- a narrow uh, but shrinking window of opportunity there to sort out your taxes uh, mm-hmm. You know, before something more serious gets spoken about in the country and actually
0: implemented. It's such a no-brainer to me, to any Canadian, Australian, European listening to this, to just leave your high-tax, angry authoritarian mm-hmm. country, get tax residency, somewhere in very favorable Latin America, be it El Salvador, a couple other options that might work would be Costa Rica, Panama, Paraguay, Uruguay, even Ecuador, uh, even Honduras. So to me, Dominican Republic as well, to me it's a no-brainer that, like there's no reason not to. I mean, I think it's, it's, and it's gonna be so much more difficult to do so in five years. I agree. I, I think it is going to get more difficult to do so and uh, these
1: Western nations are going to start um, really kind of tightening the noose, uh,
0: so to say, and it's going to be more difficult to leave. They have to. I mean, I was just looking at the Canada one because we have a lot of Canada clients that were helping escape Canada and it's as easy as getting legal residency in another country and spending less than six months a year in Canada and reducing your substantial ties to canada that's no, very no. easy it's very easy and it's just not gonna look like that in five years i guarantee it i mm. guarantee it so yeah people should absolutely get on it
1: yeah i 100 percent agree with that uh and it's easier than you think uh, you know, sorting out these kind of residency processes. Uh, I think when I first left Australia, uh, I was kind of, you know, pulling my hair out a little bit, trying to figure it all out myself. But, you know, that's where, uh, you know, people like yourself come into the equation. I to ha- just happily pay for uh, somebody who's an actual expert in setting up these residencies and just expediting the process. It saves you so much hassle and there's a lot of paperwork involved with it. So I think if you're a Canadian or Australian, you know, uh start looking at your options now while you still can
0: this episode of the my latin life podcast is brought to you in part by bit refill bit refill is the best way to spend your crypto in latin america purchase gift cards or mobile refills from more than 3500 brands in 186 countries instantly safely and privately visit bitrefill.com for more information so tell me about the and we'll start wrapping up, but tell me about the income streams that you you've been trying to build. So what what where's your energy been recently? What are you most excited about in terms of building um you know online revenue streams?
1: Yeah, so I'm still have three or four different income streams in the Bitcoin space where i manage social medias for different companies. Twitter accounts, you know, emails, etc. Uh, but I've been becoming more and more interested in helping other people scale their YouTube channels. Um, so I just think there's so many, so much low hanging fruit that someone with a YouTube channel, uh, can kind of pick so to say, and it's going to like, you know, double their views, you know, triple their views very easily. Um, like YouTube, the YouTube algorithm is the best one Um, out of all the social media platforms, that's why I think YouTube's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the platform anyone should be focusing on growing. Mm. And once you figure out that algorithm, it's so easy to, um, so easy to game like YouTube's as simple as, you know, YouTube's only looking at two things. Is somebody clicking on that person's video? And once they click on it, are they watching that video? Uh, so once you really start to understand those two analytics behind those two wants that YouTube has, uh, it's very easy to really start scaling your YouTube channel. So that's kind of where a lot of my focus is, you know, I was lucky enough to work with Mark and, you know, pick the brains of someone like George Gammon, another YouTube guru for six months there in Colombia. Uh, I I feel like I've learned a lot. So I'm beginning to, to, you know, put that knowledge uh, to use, so to say, and.
0: So let me um, ask like, you, uh, maybe I could get some selfish tips about what I should do. So uh, you probably know that we post the the podcast on YouTube, right? And I actually started adding um, uh, not only AI, I started adding AI generated shorts uh, just uh, just this past week, and I have them queued up for every single day of the month. And it's kind of funny, they actually get like hundred plus two hundred plus views on the AI generated short, uh, which is jokes. And then I started creating long-form videos, like ten-minute plus videos, twenty-minute plus videos, where I'm doing tutorials explaining, you know, how I book flights or different aspects of digital nomad stuff. And uh, I'm going to be uploading a lot of those in 2024. Um, so, what do what do you what do you think? Um, any any thoughts on how I can maybe either? get more traffic to the videos that I put out or uh, different strategies?
1: Yeah, so a big one with YouTube um, is uh, it's very high, uh, the people on there, the people on there are very picky. Uh, So everybody on YouTube, uh, one of the biggest things that Mr. Beast always talks about is once you've hooked somebody with your title and thumbnail, the first five seconds of that video, you 100% have to confirm that you are going to be talking about what's on your title and thumbnail in those first five seconds.
0: Hmm. So that's why. Pe- and that's the way you just go. In today's video, we're going to be talking about why Luke is the man.
1: Yeah. Pretty much. So if you so if, if the title and thumbnail for today's video, for example, is, um, shit talking with an Australian gringo who's living in Latin America with Luke Mikic, that means in the first five seconds, you have to, you have to, you know, re reaffirm that what the person clicked on is what they're going to get. And that's what so many channels do wrong. They do, uh, an extended introduction, uh, talking about sponsors and ad reads. And again, I used to do this myself on my channel, uh, with the Bitcoin educational company I was managing that channel for. So again, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not insulting anyone, uh, but like the first 60 seconds that has to have like all the information in it. And so what I typically do with clients is I get them to put their ad reads a little bit later on, uh, into the video or just simply, Uh, the first 30 seconds of the video has to be you like saying in today's interview we're going to be talking uh, to luke who is an australian digital nomad who escaped australia in 2022 he's got seven income streams traveled to 12 countries you need to get all the sound bites at the front of the interview so that's a big thing uh, a lot of that's like really super low line fruit somebody can grab uh, it's probably super valuable. I, I, and another so I, one- I
0: currently on the podcast, sorry to interrupt. I do the first, uh, ad read before the episode starts. Cause I, th- I just figured, you know, that's what the company's probably paying me for. They probably want to make sure that that gets heard. You know what I mean? They, they never actually bit refill. They never actually like mandated. It has to be at the very beginning. And I'm sure I do get some drop off due to that. Um, so yeah, maybe I should rethink like, but I already do splice ads like later into the video. But yeah,
1: low line fruit for YouTube is I would move that to the middle of the video where you where you already do it because I know you. So splice I do them. I do it
0: at the intro before yeah. the intro where it's like this episode is brought to you by X Y Z. Yeah, and then there's another one around the twenty minute mark, and then another one around the forty minute mark. Yeah, so I would
1: move the one from your introduction uh, at, to the, like the you know 15 or the 10-minute mark in, for YouTube uh, because I've noticed with all the playing around that I found with uh, the retention graphs, uh, like I've run so many of these experiments with clients, changing the ad read from the intro to the five-minute mark, it makes a huge difference because YouTube is so centered on that first 60 seconds. So important, super, yeah. super important. Yeah. Uh, so that's super low-lying fruit. Uh, but again, on a podcast feed, you can get away with that because on a podcast feed, there's no algorithm. So if you can make a change on YouTube uh, by moving that ad read later on into the video, if you see a greater retention from making that change, then YouTube all of a sudden says, Oh shit, more people are listening to this episode because there's less of a drop off uh, in retention at the beginning of the video or at least they
0: try to skip it and sometimes what happens on youtube is you try to skip like a minute yeah. forward and they hit you with another youtube ad and you're like god yeah. damn <laughs> yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah so if you so if you move that ad later and the result of that being people are watching the video for a longer amount of time then youtube says oh shit he vance did something right with this episode yeah, we're gonna it. push it out to more people
0: yeah i get it yeah and it definitely definitely s- makes
1: sense Same thing with the thumbnail, like here's every single day I used to work with Mark. He used to say, you have to create curiosity. If your thumbnail and title does not create
0: Create curiosity, I like that.
1: Yeah, you need to force somebody to click on your video. So there has to be like some element of curiosity or scarcity. So like, for example, a big one that lots of YouTubers use is, you know, these are the five tips that you need to know if you're going to be living in Mexico or these are the four shocking countries you haven't heard about in Latin America. Uh, I'm just going off the cuff, trying to reel off like video ideas that someone like yourself could take advantage of. Like, um, if you thought the food in Peru was good, you haven't been to this place in Mexico. Like if that's your title, somebody has to click on that. They say, okay, I know the food in Peru is good why is this place in Mexico better and it's just it's yeah so title and thumbnail you have to create curiosity um, so like this, for example if you are in channel I brought it up for you what uh, here's here's something you can do to improve straight off the bat so on your thumbnail uh, you have Johnny Hoddle um, so you have the big words Johnny Hoddle on the thumbnail for the title you don't need to use Johnny Hoddle's name because you've already mentioned it on the thumbnail So the way that it works is if somebody knows Johnny Hoddle, if they see his name written and his photo on the thumbnail, they're going to click on the video. But if somebody doesn't know Johnny Hoddle and they're not going to click on the video because of Johnny Hoddle, then the way I look at it is you have an extra 100 characters in your written title that is taking another swing at the baseball, trying to convince somebody who doesn't know Johnny Hoddle to click on that video with Johnny Hoddle. So, that's where you try to maximize your title and I wouldn't use his name again. Um, not use
0: the name at all
1: of the guest? So, if you use the name of the guest on the thumbnail, don't use it in the title.
0: You can have a podcast without having the guest name in the title?
1: Yeah, I do all the time. So, if you have the guest's photo and the guest's name written on the thumbnail... You don't need Mm -hmm. to include it in the title because in the description of the YouTube video, you're obviously going to put, uh, links to the guests, you know, Twitter account website, you're Uh going to have their name in the description. So from Mm -hmm. an SEO standpoint, you're taking care of having their name in the description of the YouTube video. Um, but yeah, so yeah, you, I look at it, you get a hundred characters in your title. You, you are you are trying to maximize the opportunity yeah. to try to force somebody to click on that video who doesn't know the
0: guest. Yeah, no, I get it. Definitely makes sense. Um, we'll hit you up, uh, offline maybe for uh, some more tips or something. But I, I, I personally, when I listen to podcasts and stuff, I enjoy hearing case studies. I was listening to a podcast today, uh, with, a, with a couple of marketers and one of them was like critiquing the other guy's stuff. And it was actually like pretty valuable. So, um, hopefully people enjoy listening to that. But, um, Cool. I realized we didn't totally get into hearing about um, like living on Bitcoin day-to-day. Um, I, I guess we don't have time to get into it. But if someone wanted to get started or start, start uh, YOLOing into maybe 50% of their net worth in Bitcoin, like how, how would you go about that? Or what kind of general tips do you have in terms of getting someone onboarded?
1: So f- first thing always comes down to education. Uh, so like Bitcoin, a lot of people get focused on the volatility of Bitcoin, but it doesn't matter what time frame you look at going all in on Bitcoin is the best economic decision you could have made. It's the best performing asset in history. It's the best performing asset of 2023. It's the best performing asset since 2020. And yes, Bitcoin's still down 40% from its all time high in 2021. But if you've been dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin, From the very peak at sixty nine thousand dollars, if you hypothetically bought bought fifty dollars of Bitcoin every single day since its peak, so the worst possible time, Mm. you're in the green today, so you're actually in profit. So from an economic standpoint, there's no real arguments uh, for being for not having a significant portion of your net worth in Bitcoin uh, because economically it's outperformed absolutely everything. But then, where should I hold
0: it? Where should I hold it? I get that it's good where do i hold it
1: you do not hold it on an exchange so the, the biggest catchphrase you hear in bitcoin is not your keys not your coins uh, yeah. so if you have bitcoin on exchange it's not yours and we saw what happened in 2022 when the largest exchanges in bitcoin all decided to run away with people's bitcoin so blockfi celsius ftx uh, you know that that should re- that should give you all the information you need to know don't trust third parties so you get your own wallets you can have your own you can download a wallet on your phone on any phone you've got what's your go-to un-
0: wallet super
1: simple one is uh probably blue wallet is great blue um wallet. i haven't heard of that blue wallet's good uh a wallet of satoshi is actually probably the easiest one for a beginner because you can put bitcoin in that wallet and and when you spend the Bitcoin wallet of Satoshi is actually going to spend it as a lightning transaction. So Wallets you will of
0: Satoshi.
1: Yeah, definitely check that out because um, okay, when the transaction fees are high, like they are today, they're about $5. Um, if you have a wallet that just manually manages, uh, on-chain Bitcoin and lightning Bitcoin, it, it's a lot easier to help newer, per- newer people. So, um, Wallet of Satoshi is great. It's funny, I'm actually working with another Bitcoin company that's about to launch uh, what we're calling the all-in-one Bitcoin application. So that's the Satoshi app. I personally use that, but we're still in beta, so we're not live with that. But yeah, I mean, like taking custody of your Bitcoin, it's a beautiful thing. Um, And like you can literally download a wallet on the App Store in 30 seconds and anyone around the world can now send you Bitcoin in 10 seconds instantly for zero fees and the government doesn't know you own it like that. That is a pretty revolutionary
0: thing. How if you, can if it go straight to a wallet instead yep. of an exchange?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's the real way to use Bitcoin. Peer-to-peer. And how
0: can it go straight to the wallet? Cause the wallet's on the blockchain.
1: Uh, yeah. So you'll download a wallet, a uh, wallet of Satoshi. You'll, you'll say you press on one button that says receive. And that wallet is going to generate you an address uh, that's on the Bitcoin blockchain and you control that address and that wallet.
0: Okay. Got it. Um, this is great. So I I think what we should do is like a LatAm Bitcoin roundtable episode at some point. You, Johnny Hoddle, like we talked about, uh, maybe Andrew Howard, who put together Me meet premier Bitcoin in Mexico. Have you ever connected with those guys? Andrew, Andrew's a great friend of
1: mine. Uh, I love him. He's a legend, but I haven't met Johnny Hoddle. I pinged him a message actually after your chat with him last week. And uh-huh. I said, Hey, you know, it's cool. You're working in the Bitcoin space. Anyone I might've known. Um, but I haven't met him personally.
0: Okay, cool. So, you know, Andrew, that's good. Yeah. And um, you know, those guys trying to think who else, maybe uh, Joel Valenzuela, who's been living on Bitcoin for like 10 years. Cool guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll see who we can put together. You down? I would one hundred percent be down because
1: I think, uh, like I think, there's so many digital nomads in the space, and like Bitcoin is just the obvious answer if you're a digital nomad. Like it makes life so easy. Most nomads are opposed to government regulations and taxation, and Bitcoin just fixes that. So I, I think uh, I think it'd be a brilliant idea. I'd be more than happy to join a little Bitcoin roundtable.
0: Yeah, I, I truly believe that Bitcoin and crypto is. I, I am technological or technical, like I, I know how to program in Python and JavaScript and stuff like that, but I've just never gone off on the deep end in crypto, like, ob- like I have like a little bit obviously, but I've never made it like a huge major pillar of my sovereign plan and, and what we talk about on My Latin Life, and I think we need to do more of that in the future, so we'll, uh, we'll definitely have to put that round table together. Now's the perfect
1: time to do that. We got the Bitcoin halving happen happening in 2024. And for anyone who doesn't know, they might be tuning in. They're a little bit crypto curious Uh, every single time. Bitcoin has a halving uh, every four years. Price typically goes absolutely bananas in the 12 to 18 months following the halving. And that's just simple, you know, economics, you know, when the supply of something gets cut in half and you have the same amount of demand or transactions happening price has to go up. So I think, uh, you know, delving into Bitcoin now, it'll, it'll be great for your listeners in, you know, 12 to 18 months time that we prepared.
0: Say it one more time for me. The halving is bananas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fucking bananas in an Australian accent.
1: <laughs> I'm I, sorry.
0: No, I love it. Uh, so Luke, why don't you take this time, uh, call to action, you know, uh, speak directly to the audience's soul, tell them, uh, where they can, uh, get in contact with you, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. If you, uh, if you think I've been talking shit on today's episode, you can tell me on my Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. So yeah, please uh, reach out. If you want help growing social media or a YouTube channel, uh, it's what I do. I'd be more than happy to drop some more alpha and, uh, help you out uh, so yeah ping me on Twitter uh, making videos on YouTube and yeah both places is uh, just my name uh, thank you so much for having me today Vance and it was an absolute pleasure joining you and I even learned a little bit more so I really had a blast and I hope that we provided
0: some sort of value uh, to the listener definitely bro yeah thanks for coming on can't wait to meet you in person one of these days and uh, we'll be in touch
1: I'm looking forward to it thank you man